Hi, everybody. We have a wonderful treat for you today. David Icke is back with me today. He has a new film that's just come out about his life, a new book coming out. And we're going to talk to him about a phenomenon known as the Overton window. And the reason uh, I've chosen that one is because people are going out of their minds and can't understand why nothing seems, quote, normal. Not that there ever was a normal, but even further off from what feels correct in our own minds and hearts. And I don't know anyone better to explain how this works, how the manipulation happens, and how to begin bringing it back than David Icke. Hi, David. So good to see you again. Oh, you too. <laughs> David, I'm so happy for you. You're good filming. Name. What? You too. Good name for a band, eh? <laughs> yes, indeed. No one's thought of it <laughs> Smart man. <laughs> David, um, first of all, we're going to talk just a little bit. You're just going to give us a tiny tease on your new book that's coming out and also tell us what's been happening since uh, the video, which is you know a full feature production, film production about your life has come out. But I want to go into this other topic first because we need to really get it once and for all, the, the means by which society is manipulated. Because right now in the U.S., we're just standing there pointing fingers at each other. We're so polarized. People are losing their minds. We have, uh, we've had 115 or 16 mass shootings to date this year alone in this country. You see traffic wrecks all over the place. I'm, I mean, it's common to see traffic wrecks where normally you might see one a year. We're losing our minds, David. And so... Do you, uh, do you care to dive into this topic with us a little bit, which, you know, is simply uh, a set, uh, a window in which w perception is accepted or not by the public and how that window is moved? Yeah, what they call the Overton window, um, I call in the books um, the postage stamp consensus. This is a set of beliefs and perceptions that go under the name of the norm, what's normal, what the real world is, how things are. And perception is the stadium in which all of it's played out. The whole conspiracy to direct human society in a particular direction, which is happening all the time, uh, the uh, conspiracy to enslave humanity in an Orwellian state, uh, the stadium is perception, human perception, to hijack that and to control it. And we get our perceptions from information received. That's how people form their perceptions. They, they have a, a view of something, and so they will behave in relation to that subject or person or whatever on the basis of how they perceive them. And the perception comes from information received. So if you can uh, control the information that, that the vast majority of people get, what we call, or I call anyway, the mainstream everything, then you are going to a very, very large extent control perception, which means you're going to control behavior. And you can change this postage stamp consensus, this Overton window of collective perception by changing information. So, for instance, um, you look at political correctness. Political correctness um, has 
created a whole new tidal wave of information uh, which says you can't say this, you can't say that, you can't have this opinion, which says um, if you do have that opinion, uh, we're going to censor you uh, uh, and or we're going to hurl abuse at you for having a different uh, uh, opinion to what we're now uh, saying is the norm. And so this window of perception can be changed by information received, but it can also be changed, of course, by information not received, which is what all this mass censorship um, is all about. And it can also be changed, and it is being, by um, people looking at the consequences of stepping outside of it. So you have this, this norm, and if you step off it, well, the abuse starts. Mm -hmm. um, you're either mad or bad. You're a Nazi, you're a racist, and, and all these things. And so what that brings about is the most insidious form of censorship of all, which is self-censorship. People just don't say it because they fear the consequences of saying it. And this combination means that this window um, receives only the information, overwhelmingly anyway, that would get people to perceive the world according to what the manipulators of the window want that perception to be, thus that behavior to be. And, you know, years ago, that window uh, was policed by religion. You can't say this because it's blaspheming. You can't say this because, um, you know, God wouldn't like it and uh, all that. And so that created a window of perception, thus a window of control. Now, as um, certainly in the West, religion becomes less um, powerful in that regard. So other things have, um, have taken its place. And uh, so for a time, mainstream science took it, its place. It, it, it still has to a certain extent where you have um, the scientific norms um, saying this is how things are and anything that challenges those is pseudoscience or um, crazy. Uh, and, and now you've mo we've moved into this uh, so-called progressive era whereby um, the traditional liberal left from the direction that I came as a kid, um, uh, liberal left that uh, believes in freedom of speech, freedom of lifestyle. Uh, basically, my philosophy is do what you like so long as you don't impose it on anyone else. That's the liberal left that I grew up with. That has now been hijacked, not only hijacked, but inverted. So now this so-called progressive left, what I call Soros progressives, um, because uh, George Soros, the multi-billionaire, is funding it to a vast extent, uh, now sees freedom of speech as a bad thing. Um, it, it's, what, what it basically says is, I, I am right... And because I am right, 
anyone that has a different opinion to me must by definition to uh, be wrong. And because they're wrong, what does it matter if they don't have freedom of speech? Because they're wrong. It's like someone wrote about me once, great line, um, what are the benefits in allowing him to speak, <laughs> all right? In public, uh, it was talking about. This is the mentality that we're, we're looking at. And so this window of norms has dramatically changed from, um, well, just from the point of view, look at comedy. I, I remember what comedy was like not so long ago. And now, basically, comedy is policed by the uh, PC Gestapo. And, and so much, uh, so many areas of human life are not open to comedy anymore. Um, uh, that this window has massively changed. And what it's done, because you see, if you can control the norm of human perception, and you can, can dictate this window, if you like, this postage stamp consensus, you're also controlling the politicians. Because the politicians don't change society, they basically reflect it. It's the permanent government, those in the shadows that change society, politicians react to it. So if you're going to run for office, not least in the Democratic Party now, then if you step out of the norms that are accepted by people to be how things are and should be, then um, you're not going to get elected, probably, um, certainly yeah. in places like California. Uh, but we should also um, remember that these, these norms, which uh, basically dominate the microphones and dominate the media, are not necessarily, in relation to current events, the norms and the window that vast tracts of the population actually do believe in. Or they'll censor themselves and stay within them because they fear the consequences. But privately, uh, they, they don't think like that at all. And when they get the chance to, um, to uh, rebel, if you like, against that, they'll take it. This is how Trump got it. Right. Trump, Trump, Trump got in telling that constituency um, what it wanted to hear. Um, I'm not saying he did it genuinely, but he told them what they wanted to hear, so they voted for him in great numbers. Same with Brexit in uh, in uh, Britain. It was an opportunity to rebel against the, the this big change in this window of acceptability. So um, it's not quite as uh, uh, you know black and white, but um, certainly in the public arena, the norms of acceptable speech and behavior and opinion has dramatically changed in the last few years. It has, and I want to bring something up. It's interesting. It goes back to what you said a few minutes ago. So you're talking about how our, uh, we're no, we, no long, we self-edit, okay? It's self-suppression. Well, what happened when... The present company accepted, by yes, the way. of course. <laughs> And, but what happened when Trump was elected, what was interesting is it did show the cracks in our collective psyche because there was permission given there and it showed the incredible amount of residual racism 
in this country, for example, um, that had been essentially suppressed. There was no real venue to voice that kind of thought for a very long period of time, particularly against African-Americans, which as you know, this is epic in our country right now. Dave, uh, uh, by Trump coming into office, it actually allowed that subconscious uh, programming that never left us really to begin surfacing. So where does that fit into this? It was almost inadvertent that it happened and it's really ugly and it's really necessary that we be able to see what's lurking in our collective subconscious here. Well, I think, I think Trump to, to an extent has been, um, has been a mirror um, for a lot of things, mm -hmm. but you know, I, I, I do think that this whole thing about racism has become a really obsessive Thing. Yes, it has. And, and, and really, you know, where I'm coming from is that we're all the same consciousness. We're all points of attention within the same flow of consciousness, having different experiences and the color of your body or the, your background income bracket or whatever is not who you are. It's, right. it's, um, it's your experience. Uh, and therefore, and it's a very brief experience. And it's one of the things I've written a lot about in the last few years, and that, that's that this obsession with labels, with self-identity, uh, with labels, uh, so that we perceive who we are by the color of the body, or the background, the religion, the race, and, and income bracket. And they're just transitory experiences which are, are not that much in the, uh, in the flow of forever. And I, I no, what I see politicians vehicles to work with by casting people against each other, which seems to be part of that agenda in moving that Overton window is the creation of enemies for the common good of the people that are listening to you. Right. This this is this is a big part of it. The creation of enemies where. Yeah. Well, you see um, what we're looking at, uh, in my opinion. What we're looking at is an updated version of Marxism. Yeah. Marxism um, changes society to its own end, which ends up with the elite in power every time. Right. By playing groups off against each other. So the traditional Marxism of the past was playing off the haves against the have-nots. And at the end of the uh, uh, Marxist revolution, the haves were in power again in another form. Because right. um, uh, it's all a contract. You know, Karl Marx was not a, uh, a man of the people. He was the banker's boy. Uh, and uh, so what's happened now is that self-identity uh, groups are being played off against each other to transform uh, society. This is why this is one of the reasons that all this talk of racism has come up and sexism has come up and transphobia has come up because what what we're looking at is the playing off of groups against each other to transform society and create the classic technique of Marxism, which is creating conflict between those uh, groups. And it's kind of fascinating to me to watch um, how the dynamics have changed. And this, this window, these norms have changed um, dramatically because the nature of the Marxism has changed. 
See, when you were playing off the haves against the have-nots, the proletariat and the bourgeoisie and all this stuff, um, you had the division between those who had and those who had not. What's happened now with this um, self-identity Marxism is that have and have-nots are now put aside. They, they matter nothing like as much. Uh, this is why you're having this focus on whether someone's called he, uh, she, or they um, at the expense of a focus on phenomenal levels of homelessness in America and, of course, in Britain uh, too. This is also brought about, this apparent contradiction, but it's not if you play, play through this, of um, so-called uh, social justice warriors and um, what I call Soros progressives um, in league with multi-billionaire financiers and um, heads of giant corporations, not least in Silicon Valley. But be because the, the groups, uh, the Marxist groups uh, division now is on self-identity and not overwhelmingly on have and have nots, it means that as long as the billionaires support your self-identity group, then you're, they're your friend, they're your mate. So what you have, you see, when the self-identity group wants to um, stop any criticism or questioning of itself, because I am right, and if you criticize me, you must be wrong. This is why this mentality cheers the billionaires of Silicon Valley when they censor um, people who, whose opinion they don't like. Instead of, you know, like uh, in the 60s, when I was growing up, watching students on the little black and white telly at Berkeley going on mass marches demanding freedom of speech, now they go on marches and protest to shut it down, to delete freedom of speech. This is the scale, going back to the theme we started out with, this is the scale of the Overton window norms of society, the change that's taken place. And it's being funded, wake up people while you still can, Soros progressives. It's being funded by those that were funding the society that this progressive uh, mentality says it wants to change. Mm -hmm. Why would George Soros, who said, um, I don't take into account the social consequences of what I do in his financing uh, 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 life. Um, I'm just there to make money. Why has this person put $32 billion into uh, uh, the Open Society Foundations he controls and created that operate in 100 plus countries, financing the so-called progressive left? Why would someone with that mentality do that? Because he's playing them like a stringed instrument. Yes. And by, by funding this transformation of the left, he's moved the window. Because now, uh, as the window moves, uh, like into the, the acceptability of censorship, um, the old liberal left would have resisted that. Now the inverted... Uh, Soros progressive left demands that 
you see how the window can be yes. manipulated by changing the mentality of those that are creating the window. Yeah, one of the tenets I was reading about in the shift is that you, if you are a, a given entity or or group or you know the media itself, whoever whoever is controlling that message from above, um, is the goal is to start by taking the most extreme position and starting to inculcate that into whether it be through um, the world of entertainment or the world of news, inculcate the most extreme position with the idea that in the end, you're going to have it slide back to an area that everyone finds acceptable. Give us some examples of how that's being played against us even in this moment. Well, I mean, I, I, I describe that process like this. Um, you, you walk up to a gate and you push it. And that uh, is symbolic of you um, introduce something that you want to happen. If there's no resistance or not enough, you walk through the gate mm -hmm. and you go on and you go to the next gate. And if there's no resistance there, you push through that, you go to the next gate. Uh, and what we've um, seen, uh, and this is what so much of this um, censorship is about, um, is, that, is that the resistance um, has not been there. Because the traditional point of resistance to freedom being destroyed, the, the old liberal left, has been usurped and hijacked. So it's not pushing back against the gate anymore like it used to. Uh, and and uh, you know there's there's it's it, it is a um, a technique whereby it's used all the time. It's used, uh, for instance, in this country, where what they'll do is they will leak to the to the media an extreme position on something. Mm -hmm. The media then um, report that extreme because what they're doing this is this is pushing the gate. Yes, they're there. Observing what is the reaction to, um, to 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 what's been leaked? Of course, the government says, "Oh no, no, this is this is not the case." If if um, if they get resistance, oh no, 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 this is not what what we were planning, and they'll pull back to something they think they're going to get away with. Um, and uh, I mean, you look at uh, Brexit now. What they really want, the political class in this country, the system, is to is to drop Brexit and just carry on as a, a vassal of the European Union. They know they they what they probably won't get away with that because given 17.4 million people voted to come out, so what they've ha uh, hashed up is um, what they're calling Brexit, but actually hands all the aces and keeps all the aces with Brussels in terms of what. Britain and British, British people can and cannot do. So um, again, you, you, their ideal is to get out altogether, but they've got a fallback position, which they're trying to get through, uh, which is, um, we'll call it Brexit, but it's not really, it's not as much as we really wanted, but it keeps us in the, it keeps us in the, uh, in the web, in the net of the um, EU. You see this um, all the time. Right. Um, they will, indicate that they they're, they're taking an extreme position and then if they get a pushback they'll 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 uh, um, dilute it a little bit as much as they think they have to dilute it to get away with it and there's another uh, con trick used in the same uh, regard to that 
And that is um, you take an extreme position, a really extreme position on some subject, and you know you're going to get pushback because it's so extreme. Um, but that's not really what you think uh, you're going to get away with. You, you, you know you're not going to get away with that. You're going to get right. away something back here. But what you do is you let the protests happen and you let the, uh, the outrage happen. And then you say, well, um, yes, we've listened to public opinion and we've taken public opinion into account. And we've decided that we're not going to do this and not going to do that, which from the start you knew you weren't going to get away with at this point. Uh, uh, and, and, and what happens is people who were protesting, they say, oh, well, at least we, at least it's not as bad as, as it was going to be. Yeah, at least there's dialogue now. <laughs> Whereas if the, the position they, accept, they expected to get was um, put forward first, then the resistance would be against that and they'd have to dilute that. So they, they give you a much more extreme position and then they dilute it to the point they, they thought they were going to uh, uh, get away with uh, right from the start. So it, putting all this together, as I've been saying for decades, this is a psychological game. This is a mind game. It's about manipulating human perception to get what you want. Uh Perfectly put. Um, any other like tells? What I want people to go away with is understanding when they're watching these um, clips, whether they're watching the news or reading the newspaper or whatever, whatever the choice for the news is for them, um, to understand some of the tells. What you just talked about, I think, is one of the real tells. What are a couple of the other tells so people can really clearly get once and for all the more subtle, nuanced ways in which they're being manipulated? And we're going to just pass through that to an Overton window on the subject of um, sexual abuse and pedophilia. We've talked about this before, but it's really coming up large now. Well, um, the red flag um, to watch is when the mainstream media, the mainstream everything, um, moves as one unit. Yes. When they um, trying to sell or represent the same uh, position on whatever subject you're dealing with, you're dealing with the agenda. Another red flag um, is look at anything, any subject, my goodness me, they're increasing by the day, where you can't have an alternative opinion without getting abuse or, or censored. Um, because the, the simple um, fact is that if they can't win the debate on something, they don't have it. You know, if, if you know that if you have open discourse and all information, opinions are presented in, uh, in, a, in the public arena, you know you're not going to win that debate. So you don't have it. You shut it down. You, you make any alternative opinion um, the subject of abuse and censorship. Look at, look at anything. Look at mass immigration. Look at uh, trans, the transgender subject. Look at uh, human-caused global warming. The, the list just gets longer where you can't have another opinion without being called a racist, a bigot, or 
whatever, uh, you shut the debate down. For instance, um, how can you win a debate that says that men and women are not biologically different? You cannot win that debate. By, uh, professors of biology come out and say, well, actually, uh, uh, they are different. Actually, all I've got to do is produce a mirror. Uh, have a look at that. Yeah, have a look. Yeah, yeah. You're different. Okay. Um, and, and I watched a video on, um, online uh, some about two months ago now where it was a panel at a university and uh, there was a woman on the panel and um, she simply said that uh, men and women um, are different in the sense of, uh, this is all she said, men are on average taller than women. Well, it was a walkout by these people. And, and the camera followed the walkers out as into the lobby, and they were saying, we're not staying in there and listening to this fascism. <laughs> oh, so this is how it works. Um, and what you're, what you're seeing when you um, see the way that this is progressing is they pick off milder things to start with and then it gets more and more extreme whether it's um criticism of israel or criticism of um uh, transgender not uh not being discriminatory against transgender people i, I, don't, I don't see that being discriminatory against anyone is anything but childlike but we see, we started out, it's what I call the foot in the door technique, um, whereby you say we must not be discriminatory against transgender people. Okay, most people would put their hands up and say, yeah, fair enough, that's okay. So you got your foot in the door, you've started it. That's just the first move. Uh, what's happening now is particularly young people and children are being systematically manipulated and indoctrinated. Um, on the basis of transgender uh, uh, perceptions, so that they are now questioning their gender when they weren't before. The number of particularly young girls who are questioning their gender in Britain and wanting to be another gender has increased in recent years by literally thousands of percent. That has not happened by chance. It's not happened randomly. It's been brought about by programmed, manipulated design. So it's this is how in the United States, David, and the, one of the very sad aspects to this. I, I interviewed uh, probably a couple of years ago now. This this wonderful woman who became a man, so a man at this point, who explained very openly from the inside the process in their case, but talked about what happens to that culture at large, which has uh, the highest suicide rate, I believe, of just about any demographic. And you can understand when you're talking about it from the perspective you've just mentioned of creating this cognitive dissonance within your own being, even as to your basic sexual identity. This is an issue. Well, the thing is, um, this very quickly, um, you know if something's genuine or not by how they treat, if you like, their own. Mm -hmm. To give you an example, um, a Jewish person who criticizes the regime in Israel 
gets more abuse from these ultra Zionist hate groups censors than does someone who is not Jewish. That's true. So it's not about many examples of that in Britain um, recently. Yes. Um, so it's not about protecting Jewish people. That's not what it's about. It's about an agenda to stop criticism of the far-right regime in Israel. And I'm just, I'm just over there somewhere. I, I've got a book. I'm just about to start it. And it's about a, a, a man, an American man, who um, was pressured uh, into literally going through the operations of changing gender. And when he changed his gender, uh, eventually he realized what a massive mistake it was and how actually what he perceived to be wanting to be in another body had other origins to do with his childhood. And, but when he started, and I've come across so many people like this, when he started to want to um, alert people who were thinking about it, to say, not don't do it, but hold on a minute, here are some of the drawbacks, and, and, and what is the motivation really? Look at it more deeply before you, you jump into a life-changing situation. And this book he's written is a, a book of people's stories who've been through what he went through. What is the name and of the book, David? Because people, what is the name of the book? People I will. Can't, be I can't remember. Um, it's not actually here. It's in my car. Oh, okay. So what, Never mind. Go ahead. Sorry to interrupt you. What I do, I have books in the car, um, <laughs> and I, I go to cafes and stuff. And That's I where I do them. my research. <laughs> where there's no phones and no disturbance and no, uh, <laughs> no, no, nothing that stops you getting really into it. But it's in the car. And it's, um, it, it's uh, about uh, stories of people like him who, who went through the change and then regretted it. But those people have enormous abuse from transgender activists because they're not singing from the song sheet, because it's not about protecting transgender people. If it was, they'd say, hey, come and talk about it. Let's make sure people don't make things or do things they're going to regret. But no, it silenced them, abused them, because they're not um, advancing the agenda that we want if, if we allow them uh, access to, um, to tell their stories. And you see this all the time. Whenever anyone says you can't have another opinion, it's the agenda because it's shutting down debate that it can't win. Yes, that is, uh, I think you stated it perfectly. It's very, very concerning. And I think all of us know people who have fallen kind of into the story a bit. And especially, especially very young kids, it is a very confusing time to be a pre-adolescent or a child right now. And that really segues into the next topic. Um, and you and I have touched on this before, but it seems to be, um, becoming more entrenched in the media, which is a frightening proposition. And it's a notion of what some are calling in a politically, they say the politically correct term is age gap love. This came up in a, an interview I did recently. 
And more and more in the American media, we're talking about programs that have older, much older men and very young girls as the beginning point to start working toward the extremes. And this is an area you know well about. And so let's just talk about what people need to be alerted to in this particular agenda and what's going on in the movement toward the acceptance of, as you say, pedophilia. Well, um, it, it's, it's a deep story. We're not time to go into it now, but I go into it in the books. Um, there's a reason why the so-called upper echelons, I call them the cesspit echelons of society and the elite are extraordinarily um, into pedophilia and pedophilia and Satanism uh, interconnect for reasons I explain in the books as well. Right. Um, um, so um, it has to be done because of the window of collective perception uh, in secret. Uh, although in things like the Roman uh, Catholic Church, of course, it's um, it, that secrecy has been breached, but we're still talking about the tip of a very large iceberg. Um, but we are clearly, I've been looking and observing this for some time now and commenting on, on, on the internet from time to time. Uh, we're, we are looking at a process of moving that window of public perception into an area where pedophilia becomes more and more acceptable, where you dilute it more and more in terms of uh, a, a real back horror at the um, at the court. And, um, you know, um, age gap love and all this stuff, these are just Orwellian terms describing uh, pedophilia. Uh, basically, uh, and you uh, look at what's just happened in Britain, for instance, is a story running today where uh, a uh, organization is saying that uh, those that uh, are found um, watching child pornography on the internet shouldn't uh, be subject to criminal action as they have been up to this point but um, should go to something akin to what, you, what happens if you get a speeding ticket in effect. And um, instead of getting the fine, you, you agree to go to some um, traffic, traffic course um, situation, uh, something similar to that. Um, and this is, again, diluting and diluting the... Um, the perceptions that people have of pedophilia. Uh, and uh, it it's, it's happens across the great swathe of subjects. It's what I call the totalitarian tiptoe. You just, you've got a goal, in this case, normalizing pedophilia, and you chip away step by step by step by step, often over a long period. Uh, until you get um, to that situation. And, and the totalitarian tiptoe is um, where you start at A and you know you're going to Z and you, you go in steps towards Z and you make the steps not so big that too many people are alerted to what is happening and the pattern and the direction. That totalitarian tiptoe is massively uh, uh, part of the uh, whole technique of, of moving this window of collective perception from what it has been to what it becomes. Uh, and so, you know, the idea, for instance, of centralizing power has always been a 
kind of reel back, or oh, that don't sound good uh, to most people. Centralizing power means power in the hands of fewer and fewer people. But what you're looking at now is that um, perception being diluted, certainly among the progressive Soros left, using the excuse of human-caused climate change. So, uh, I mean, back in the 90s, I was uh, pointing out that human-caused climate change is a hoax. And um, people said, ob obviously, and quite rightly, well, why would they do that? And I said, because they want to use that as an excuse to A, centralize power on a global level to save the planet, and B, to um, justify imposing their will on the fine detail of your life to save the planet. And now, all these years later, of course, you've got Casio Cortez's Green New Deal, you've got um, the Agenda 21, Agenda 2030 from the United Nations, and in this country, you've got this Extinction Rebellion, this organization with great connections into the elite, by the way, um, that has been shutting roads and squares in London. Um, protesting about the fact that not enough's being done to save the world from climate change. And all of them are putting forward uh, what needs to be done, what they demand is done, uh, policies and changes that are straight off the pages of my books from uh, long ago, that this is what the... Um, whole hoax is about justifying the transformation and centralization of power in um, in human society. And so you have a collective perception which is instinctively uneasy with centralization of power that suddenly says, well, you know, we're probably going to need to have to do it to save the world or do this or do that or do the other. Globalization, again, is a, a totalitarian tiptoe towards more and more centralization of power. So is the European Union. So uh, wherever you look, you're seeing this drip, drip, step, step um, movement to move this window of collective perception um, into a whole new area of how people see the world and world events and what needs to be done. It's true. And I think that there's so much for people to rail against right now. I mean, again, people are going nuts. It's like our minds are being shredded. And I say that quite literally. I'm seeing a lot of insane behavior around on a daily basis. And so, I mean, to start understanding the means by which these manipulations are occurring is number one. And then I think number two, you know, you get into this land where people hear, watch YouTube videos all day and hear one point of view after another, have one concern after another and become so overwhelmed, they just light up a joint and then dial out from the whole thing. Where I would say you, it's really good to start choosing something that you actually care about. So uh, Andrew Harvey said, what is that thing that wakes you up at three in the morning that you're you're just either angry or impassioned about it because of the injustice or possibility of it and pick something and start putting some energy there. And the reason I've talked about pedophilia with you um, in, in, in the last interview, we mentioned it as well is because it is tiptoeing up now. It is being promote is, is starting to be promoted as acceptable on some levels. And this is one thing I think every human being can agree on. It's absolutely unacceptable to rob uh, 
the innocence from youth is unacceptable on every level, period. We have to find something that we can still stand for. What is your feeling on that? That's the more proactive end of it. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. Um, but if you approach anything with the old perceptions, um, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. True. Uh, and for me, what we need to do first and foremost, um, as a prerequisite to everything, is redefine our self-identity. Yes. Realize that we are not our labels. We are the consciousness having the experience we call labels. Because once you fall, for my labels are me, my labels are the I, then the groups and the labels start forming, which can be played off against each other for the absolute bottom line of any few control of the many, which is divide and rule. Um, when um, you have the humility with that to say, look at what uh, Socrates in ancient Greece is supposed to have said, wisdom is knowing how little we know. Thus, when you say, I am right, on what basis are you right? On the basis of where does your information come from that gives you the perception that you are right? Uh, have you ever heard this opinion, that opinion, that opinion? Uh, all the time, you know, pe people say to me and mainstream t um, uh, media interviewers, uh, they say, oh, this, that, and the other. And I say to them, how much research have you done on this subject? I've done 30 years full time. You haven't even done 30 bloody seconds. And you're, uh, 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 but but you, you have a rigid view that I must be wrong when we're not even beginning to come from the same perspective of research uh, on the subject that you're talking about. So um, that rigidity, that arrogance of I am right, even though I've done no research on the subject I claim I am right about, that also has to go. Because if it doesn't, then you, not only on YouTube, but in everyday life, people are only interested in hearing things that confirm what they already believe. True. And I, I would say, I would say to people, look at that. Look at that. Yeah. Just do, do a few um, little statistics here. Um, According to mainstream science, the, uh, uh, the electromagnetic spectrum is 0.005% of what exists in the universe. Visible light, which is all that we can see, everything that we can see as a visual reality, is a smear of the 0.005%. Compared with the projected size of the universe, planet Earth is the equivalent of a billionth of a pinhead. Now, you tell me that within a sphere of infinity and on a billionth of a pinhead compared with the projected size of the universe, and that's just one universe compared uh, uh, with endless universes, you tell me that you've got no more to know. No, very true. However, let me... Right, it's about... This is what I perceive at my current level of knowledge and my current level of information. Tomorrow, 
I'll know more, therefore I'll understand more. Therefore, today's I am right will become a bigger uh, uh, sense of how I, uh, how I, um, how I uh, uh, see things. So it's, um, it's, it's about humility and redefining your self-identity, that we are consciousness having the experience. This is just a brief experience uh, it, it, within infinite forever. And, and how can we, within this biological computer, as I call it, which focuses our attention and perception within a narrow band of frequencies, which we're released from at what we call death, at least to some extent, larger or lesser. Um, and therefore, how can we have this I am right arrogance, and there's no more to know. If you say something different, you must be wrong. It's extraordinary self-deceit, self-deception that's going on. That has to go, because uh, if it doesn't, we'll just continue as we are. This is true, and there is yet another overlay, and that is that this incredible instrument that is, as you call it, the spacesuit or the body, the meat suit, also is hardwired with a very um, sublime mechanism for being able to sense. And so we all have within us, within our heart and within our guts, we have a, an, an innate sense, forget all the programming, of things that truly are damaging to the human soul and spirit. I think we can all feel that. I, uh, virtually everyone has some sense of feeling of these things. And what I'm referring to is starting to listen to this aspect of our own selves, this more uh, sublime and subtle aspect of self over even data and information that is surrounding us in terms of finding our way back to some really essential truths, which we've totally lost the thread to. Well, I, I called the, uh, the body a biological computer. I mean, uh, you know, the, the level of what we experience things as compared with what they are is just fantastic. I mean, we think we live in physical bodies. We don't. We live in uh, um, fields of information. Absolutely, we, yeah. We decode into the, the experience of what appears to be Physical, and when I say biological computer, I, 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 I mean precisely that. If, if I program this computer in front of me to not process certain information, that information would never appear on the screen. Mm -hmm. You look at China, where they, um, they code the internet so that China can't get great sways of the internet that the Chinese authorities don't want them to see. Um, and it's the same thing. And what uh, programs this to um, the firewalls, creates the firewalls, are perception. Because uh, the perception of I am right and I've got no, nothing more to know is a firewall because you won't go beyond that. Uh, and so we're, these Program perceptions are firewalling us all the time, and they're focusing attention into the five senses. So people in vast numbers, it is changing mine, but in vast numbers um, can only perceive the five sense world because that's, that's the, the window of their um, perception. And, and therefore, they are trying to get a fix 
on the world that they are experiencing within the world that they're experiencing. Talk about the blind leading the bloody blind. Well, and, and if you control the information that people receive at that level through the mainstream media, education, etc., you are going to, um, to a very, very large extent, dictate their perceptions and therefore dictate their behavior. But when do you allow these programs to be breached, these bubbles of perception to be breached? And, and the first step is wisdom is knowing how little I know. Therefore, how can I, in the circumstances I've just described, think I know all there is to know or, all the, or what I need to know? That starts to break down these firewalls of rigid belief, whether they're religious, political, financial, cultural, whatever, racial. And you can start to access levels of awareness that are beyond the program, are beyond the five senses. And then you start to look at the five sense world. And instead of it completely consuming your perception and all you can see is random events and dots now because you've accessed a, a, an expanded state of awareness beyond the program these dots start forming patterns and you start to see connections and you start to see that the world is not like um uh you uh, you thought it was and and that's the process that um that people go through in what they call awakening you're not awakening to, to enlightenment. You are enlightened. You are awakening to break through the programs that, that um, firewall you off from the enlightened, um, the enlightened consciousness you are and can be. Uh, and, and so, of course, when you have a situation where um, you're in the same world, as, as people who have gone through this process of deprogrammed awakening, and you're still in a world full of people that's not been, that have not been through that process, um, obviously um, you get seen as mad, crazy, or dangerous because they literally can't compute what you're doing, what you're saying, and how you're acting. So because it's different to their norms, their window, they are immediately wary of you and often fearful of you um, because they cannot conceive what you uh, conceive. And the, the way through to that realm beyond the program is here. It's what you know rather than what you think. Exactly. See, when, when you say, sorry, sorry, Regina, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, exactly. I think we're starting to parallel on that thought. To be able to throw off the yoke of this information overload, manipulation, and persuasion, even to be able to feel those subtle senses within us, those subtle feelings that are embodied with a higher truth, that enlightenment phase you talk about, which is innate to all of us, casting off all of the, the BS around us to be able to feel ourselves again, I really think is key to this whole thing. And that's where those feelings can start um, igniting a higher sense of truth again. Yeah, that's, that, that's the key. I mean, that's been the, the themes throughout my 
work uh, from the start is that this is the answer. Yeah. And it's some esoteric naval contemplating. Um, this, this, um, the age old connection of the heart to love is not by accident or right. random chance. But what has happened is the nature of love itself has changed so uh, and been suppressed and inverted. So what we call love today, and that's the kind of love that's symbolized by the physical heart, you know, um, is, um, if you like, the love of attraction, um, where you are attracted to some uh, another human being, and, and it can be overwhelming for many people, that attraction. It's, a, it's a, an energetic connection. And... Um, if it stays on the level only of attraction, then um, when that uh, kind of wave of attraction starts to wane, then there's nothing left that we call love. And in fact, it can get very antagonistic between two people who were formerly, quote, in love. For me, um, the, the, the best uh, symbol of love that this energetic heart is about, that's been usurped by the idea of the physical heart, is friendship. You know, there's a great line about a friend is someone who walks into the room when everyone else is walking out. It's, it's uh, if you look at friendship love, it's not um, founded uh, on attraction, uh, alone or even attraction at all on that physical sense um, it's it's something infinitely uh, deeper and it's without condition a friend is someone who'll tell you what you don't want to hear even though they know they're going to get a mouthful back uh, a friend will stand there beside you even though you've done something the friend vehemently doesn't agree with but they'll stand with you anyway that's love in its true sense that's unconditional love that doesn't require attraction and doesn't re require a contract and it's this friendship love that i'm talking about and and when we open um the heart the energetic heart uh, we enter and connect with the realm of knowing i mean look look at look at the um, the body language when people say i'm thinking i'm thinking they point to the head because that's where thought, a very low level of awareness, by the way, yes. um, operates. But when they say, I know, I know, their hands go here. They're instinctively going where the, the uh, source of that is coming from. I just know, I just know. When people are talking about the, their intuition, I just know. They don't go, I'm thinking. They go, I'm thinking. And... I can only look at my own life and the transformation of my own life over the last 30 years um, has been a movement from here to here. This now serves this. It doesn't, it's not the governor. My, my intuition has led me to so much information yeah. which this would have said, oh, what are you going there for? What are you doing that for? What will people think if you do that? And you go because you know and you realize when you get there why you're there. 
whereas as this can uh, have a list of reasons why you shouldn't go. And I went through a, um, a, a phenomenal uh, point back in the 1990s when this and this came together, where I'd gone with my intuition uh, uh, knowing, I, just, I know I've got to do this, I know. And it had got me into some scrapes because why wouldn't it? Because this does not see the world like this. This, this, is, this is your Overton window. This is air. <laughs> and therefore, it, uh, when, when you break free from it, you're going to do things that this wouldn't do. And li given we're living in a world, although, like I say, it's changing, where still the great majority are coming from here, they're going to perceive what you're doing coming from here is crazy or mad or dangerous. But what happened to me is that there came a point where this has observed this for long enough that when you, when you go with it, you get into some scrapes and, 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 and challenges, but it all works out not despite what has happened, but because of it, the good and the bad. And this and this come together. So when this says, I, I just know I've got to do this, this says, okay, let's go. The war stops. It's phenomenal. It's a phenomenal feeling because what happens is uh, you, you feel no to do something, to say something, and you don't, have a sensor that's telling you why you shouldn't do it, why you shouldn't say it. And here's the word that doesn't occur when you go from here. Consequences. This is the land of consequences. This is terrified of consequences. This and this, the emotions, terrified of consequences. So this says, I know, I, I know I've got to do this. I know I've got to say this. Oh, yeah, but what are the consequences of doing that? When this and that comes together, that doesn't happen. You, you, when this, I, I know I do this, you do it, you say it. You don't think of consequences. This is the thing. How, what is self-censorship, which is, which is an epidemic today? It's an expression of, but what are the consequences of me having my own opinion? I so, agree, David. And the fact is, this, the heart always knows what's truly unacceptable. Going back to that Overton window, if we're listening, you can't be manipulated by those, you know, political perceptions and media persuasion if we're here. And that's all I'm saying about that is breaking it. And I love what you had to say. I love what you said about friendship. I mean, truly, in an ideal situation, we would begin joining together in the true spirit of friendship and simply no longer accept the unacceptable. Things would change rapidly. But it seems that it's a tall task out there at large, unfortunately. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I, 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 I open my mouth and what comes out is what I, I believe, what I feel. And if, uh, if people don't like that and what I say and what I, uh, how I see the world, then that's fair enough. That's their right. Uh, but funnily enough, they want to censor me, but I don't want to censor them. Right. So where's the, where's the point <laughs> of tyranny? I, I want the free flow of information. See, people who are confident of, of what they stand for and what they say, they welcome debate. They welcome the free flow of information because they're, they have confidence in that, that they are that what they're saying has some validity. People who don't have that confidence, they want to shut the debate down, uh, which is why you know 
we were talking about what what happened um, what happened uh, earlier. So it's it's so important. And again, when you come back from who I am is my labels, and what does that mean? What does that say? Who I am is my labels. It, it also um, includes what will other labels think of me if I do this or say this. Yeah. So again, consequences, consequences. So, oh, I don't want bad consequences, so I won't do it and I won't say it. Once the consequence fear goes, because you know, hey, I'm a poor of attention with an infinite awareness. When I leave this body, um, I'm, I'm going to go on exploring forever, forever. So I'm, I'm concerned about consequences in this tiny little experience we call a human life i'm caring and, and censoring myself because uh, what someone might say because i have a different opinion to them what but you fall for the labels and it's a totally different perceptual point from which you observe the same perception of consequences so um, people will see when they read my new book, uh, which I've just finished, just going into print. It's coming out in September. It's called The Trigger. Um, they'll see how much I care about consequences and how much I um, I fear consequences. Um, David, you haven't cared about consequences for many decades, which is why they did the film called The Renegade on you. <laughs> yeah. yeah Sorry. The, the thing is that. Um, if you, if you look at my experience, um, there was a time, and the, you know it's, it's shown in the movie, um, when I couldn't walk down a, a, any street in Britain without being laughed at. A comedian only had to say my name to get a laugh. No joke was necessary. Um, and, and it seemed as if your life was over. And people perceived your life to be over. Oh, you'll never recover from that. But you... You you keep speaking your truth, and you keep speaking your truth no matter what. You don't think about consequences. People used to say to me, didn't you know that people would ridicule you if you said that? And I'm thinking, yeah, do you know, I'd work that out. But I didn't, you know, so I'm going to censor myself and what I feel is right and what I've researched because of what someone might call, think I'm crazy or going through a midlife crisis. I mean, what? To me, you see, to me, that is like, Huh? But but if you if you're stuck in the world of labels and how other people see you, that concern with how you're seen consumes your life. It runs your life. The prison that most people live in is the fear of what other people think. It completely defines them. And I say, you know, these these kids. It, it saddens me so much when I see. Um, the suicide rate of young people going up, it's going up very uh, quickly in uh, Britain. And where pe kids have taken their own life because of some abuse they've had on social media or at school or whatever. I mean, kids, don't let other people define you. Define yourself. You are a point of attention, an infinite expression of consciousness on an infinite journey exploring forever forever it's just an experience so some idiot says you're this or says you're that 
So what? You know, I mean, you know, I mean, uh, someone gave me some great advice a long time ago. They said, um, what do you gain by winning an argument with an idiot? You, you can't. You, you can't win an argument with an idiot because they never know when they've lost. <laughs> but this is the point. Um, what people say about us is not the point. That's not the power. The power is how we respond to what people say about us. This is where the power lies. If you, if you allow that, um, uh, what people say about you or do about you to um, overpower you, then that can only happen because you have given your power to that which is abusing you. Personally, I, re I refuse to do that. <laughs> you know, oh, you know, I, I, people abuse me. And I just said, well, thanks for sharing that with me. Have a nice day. Couldn't care. <laughs> Because it doesn't matter. It only matters if I make it matter by allowing that to impact upon me. And I see people get more and more frustrated because they want to hurt you. They want to see a reaction that you're hurt, and you're not. Exactly. <laughs> they're like, they're like, um, like the rumble in the jungle or whatever it was with George Foreman and Muhammad Ali where they just punched themselves out. <laughs> Because, you know, I mean, it, try some more abuse. That hasn't worked. Try another angle. Abuse me another way. No, that hasn't worked either. <laughs> but, Thank David, you. you're, you're being – I'm sorry. I was going to say, but this is changing, and even in your life. I mean, since Renegade, your film has come out. Um, we were talking before the interview, and it's doing extraordinarily well in Britain, the very place that used to kind of giggle behind you. As you said, you used to walk to the sound of distant laughter. Not so much anymore. You've kept telling your truth all of these years. And I have to say, as a person, I've spent a good amount of time around you personally, and people that know that will say, what's, oh, what's he really like? And I always say the same thing. You have an amazingly... Um, you, you do not have a sense of self-importance about you at all in your everyday life. You're a guy who is living, I think you really truly live your talk. I don't find you to be judgmental. I've always found you to be very inviting in of anybody, any little old lady in the coffee shop that strikes up a conversation with you over a muffin, doesn't know who you are. You're so amenable, but mostly you do not have this sense of self-importance. And I so appreciate that about you, considering what you've taken on and the number of years you have taken it on. I mean, I find that probably your most beautiful trait. I just had to say. Well, the thing is that, first of all, from where I'm coming from, once you realize what's going on in the world and where it's being taken, um, walking away is never an option. That's why I always find it very strange when people um, enter this arena and they, their star flies for a, a, a while, their flavor of the month for a year or two, and then they disappear. I'm thinking, where have they gone? How can you walk away? Um, when you when you say you know what's going on, you you can't walk away from that. And the thing about self importance, it's it's a funny thing, um, an apparent uh, paradox, but it's not. That the more that you understand that you are an expression of infinite awareness, and if you open yourself uh, to the maximum state, state you are that infinite awareness in its entirety, the, 
the less this self-important stuff affects you because you realize that whether you um, are someone who is perceived as important or whether you are someone who is not, someone homeless or someone who works on the checkout down the store, the labels may be different, the experience may be different, but the I is the same. Indeed. And, and ultimately, those that I am exposing are an expression, a distorted expression, I would say, at this time, of the same I that everything else is, every tree is, every breath of air is. So this whole idea of self-importance comes from labels. My label is more important than yours. You just drive a bus. I run a bank. Just a different experience, darling. That's all it is. <laughs> Indeed. Get used to it. And therefore, whether you are a, whether you are a, a prince or a pauper, as the saying goes, uh, it's all the same to me um, because you're just an expression of consciousness like I am, the same consciousness ultimately. Indeed. I just uh, I just applaud you for that, for being able to, because you're living that, for being able to stay within that understanding throughout all these years. And uh, David, I want to thank you so much for your time. So your new book is coming out in September, um, The Trigger, The Renegade, You, um, that's already out, and we can find it on a couple of different platforms, I understand. But first of all, we can find it through your site, right? People go to davidite.com. They can watch it now. It's an hour right. and 40 minutes. Uh, it's it's um, a, a feature film that's been made with a feature film company on feature film technology and feature film uh, quality, and uh, I'm absolutely delighted with it. I didn't edit it, but I'm delighted with um, what they did. Uh, and uh, the book, um, it's just a, I don't usually kind of push my books, but there's, there's something uh, about this one. It's called The Trigger. Um, it's going to be available for pre-order in um, very early August. Um, and this is a book that really I'd like to see a lot of pre-orders. And I'll tell you for why. I don't know what's going to happen once it enters the public arena. And I want as many in circulation as possible before that point is reached. It actually is officially launched and becomes available publicly on uh, September the 11th, which might give you an idea of some of the subject matter. But it's not just about that. It's, um, it, it's If people think I've deep been demonized up to this point, well, strap in. You've seen nothing yet. And if people think I've been controversial up to this point, well, do the same. Um, so I, I really want to get as many of these books in the hands of uh, thinking people before it enters the public arena, because it is seriously controversial. That's going some from you. <laughs> David says his own book is controversial. <laughs> David, thank you so much. So what I'd like to do is I'm going to get a copy of that book. And once I've had a chance to read it, if you would, please come back on again. Um, and we'll talk about the contents. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely right. All right. Thanks again, David. Wonderful to see you again. As always.
Again, everybody, you can go to davidike.com, find all of that information about Renegade. Also start looking for the book uh, in August for pre-orders. And until next time, thank you for joining us here on reginameredith.com. <laughs>